Our first reading can be found on page 162 of the New Testament section of the Bible. And it's taken from the first letter to Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of Christ, of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the Gospel reading, which can be found on page 48 of the uh, New Testament section. And it's taken from Mark, chapter 13, beginning at verse 24. Alleluia, alleluia. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Alleluia. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. 
Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. May thoughts and words be to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Do please be seated. Have you noticed that there are league tables for just about everything? Supermarket prices... I'm personally tracking the price of Lurpak butter, so I could tell you afterwards where best to go. (laughs) School SATs results, GCSEs, A-levels, football clubs, university results, surgeons' performance, and even the speed at which your GP will see you. Did you know that there is a league table of dreams? The top five dreams and this is according to the web, so it must be true. (laughs) Top five. Number one, flying dreams. You find yourself soaring through the treetops in true Superman, Superwoman fashion. Psychologists say it's about freedom from life's limitations or overcoming an obstacle. And then the second one is the losing your teeth your teeth dreams. Trying to make your minor in. Um, teeth falling out, crumbling, turning black or decaying at speed. Apparently, that's all about a communications issue. Symbolically, teeth represent your personal power. Your speech and things that, uh, that are going wrong are about feelings of inferiority. And then number three, This is true because it's on the web. Dreams of finding yourself naked. And of course, usually in a public place. Not surprisingly, that's all about feeling exposed. Perhaps because you've disclosed too much about yourself. Can you wait? Number four, can you wait for this? Being lost dreams. Wandering through the streets or forests in unfamiliar surroundings, and being anxious. These are supposed to be about your direction in life with no purpose or meaning. Psychologists think it's the inner person longing for direction. And number five, chased by shadows dreams. Nightmares, really, of being chased or stalked or threatened by someone or something we can't actually see. Supposedly all about repressed memories and deep-seated fears which we've never quite dealt with. And, of course, apologies to any psychologists here for my rather amateur interpretation. Apparently many people have exam dreams. In these dreams, you discover you have to sit an exam just hours or perhaps even minutes before and you haven't prepared for it at all. You haven't revised, you haven't read any books and sometimes you haven't even sat the course. 
But the exam is about to start and you're rushing to find out something, anything about it, to get there in time. It's called a panic dream. Now, unbelievably, there's a particular dream that vicars have. It goes like this. I'm told I'm preaching a sermon about two minutes before the service begins because Mark likes to create a little surprise occasionally. I don't know what the Bible passage is on. I wake up sweating with my heart pounding because I'm not ready. The fear of not being ready. And it's a question for us to pose this morning on this Advent Sunday. Are you ready? Traditionally, Advent begins in darkness. This morning we lit a candle to express our hope in the growing light of Christmas. But Advent begins by first recognising the darkness in our world with the hope and expectation of a new day to dawn. These days it's not always easy to start Advent in darkness. The shops want to start Christmas earlier and earlier. There are pre-Christmas sales and now Black Friday sales and I suppose the Christmas illuminations have already been on for some time. The brightness and light of our modern Christmas is all around us. So it's difficult to begin Advent in darkness. Some in the churches have said, if you can't beat them, join them. They've suggested that we should start Advent earlier and then start our Christmas season earlier and stretch it out for longer to a wonderful climax on Christmas Eve. I think the children would vote for that one. But there's one problem with all these approaches to the right timing for Advent and Christmas. No matter what we do outwardly, with all our decorations and shopping and festivities, it may still not coincide with how we feel and experience Advent and Christmas inwardly. Even with all the trappings, it's sometimes difficult to enter into that so-called Christmas spirit. And some people may never quite get there this year. Maybe they live in Ukraine, or Gaza, or Israel, or one of the many other countries where war rages. I tried looking up last night where all these countries are, and there are so many, I didn't even begin to list them. Perhaps they've recently suffered a terrible loss like so many in those countries, or much nearer to home, and even in our own church. Or perhaps for others, their relationships are in turmoil, even on the brink of falling apart. Yes, there'll be many people, as there are every year, who are in too much pain right now to ever feel the Christmas spirit. Their lives are in darkness now, and it will be difficult for the light to penetrate so Advent begins in darkness. And I'm drawn to that verse from the book of the prophet Isaiah, a cry from the darkness. It's Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would open the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens 
and come down. It's the anguished outburst of a desperate people, having exhausted all possible human alternatives, having given up on polite, respectfully restrained prayers to God. They cry out, tear open the heavens and come down. Earlier, in the same passage, Isaiah calls out, Look down from heaven and see from your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your might, the yearning of your heart and your compassion? They are withheld from me. They are withheld from me. In other words, where are you, God? Where are you? Isaiah prays the prayer of a people who long for God, yet cannot see or hear him. People for whom God seems absent. I heard a survivor of the Auschwitz death camp say that God stayed far away because it was so awful. I'd like to share with you a brief passage about looking for and finding God. It's from a book with a good Advent title, Night, written by a Jew. For it describes one of the darkest places ever known on this earth, the Auschwitz death camp. Eli Wiesel was a Nobel Prize winning author who survived Auschwitz and recorded many of his experiences in this book. He only died a few years ago. If ever there has been a place on earth where we are justified to cry out, where are you, God? Auschwitz is the place. One particularly well-known passage from this book asks just this question. It describes the hanging of a young boy. And I quote, The SS seemed more preoccupied, more disturbed than usual. To hang a young boy in front of thousands of spectators was no light matter. The head of the camp read the verdict. All eyes were on the child. He was lividly pale, almost calm, biting his lips. The gallows threw its shadow over him. This time the camp executioner refused to act as executioner. Three SS replaced him. The victims mounted together onto the chairs. The three necks were placed at the same moment within the nooses. Long live liberty, cried the two adults. But the child was silent. Where is God? Where is he? Someone behind me asked. At a sign from the head of the camp, the three chairs tipped over. There was total silence throughout the camp. Then the march past began. The two adults were no longer alive, but the third rope was still moving. Being so light, the child was still alive. For more than half an hour, he stayed there, struggling between life and death, dying in slow agony before our eyes. And we had to look at him full in the face. He was still alive when I passed in front of him. Behind me, I heard the same man saying, Where is God now? 
and I hear a voice within me answer him. Where is he? He is here. He's hanging here on this gallows. I also read this recently, scraped on the wall of a barrack block in one of the other death camps. Underneath a crudely drawn star of David, in rough lettering on a crumbling wall, just three lines. I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not shown. I believe in God, even when he does not speak. Do any of you know what that feels like? Have you ever prayed but felt like you were only talking to yourself? Have you ever stood by the bed of a loved one in pain and prayed to God for help but felt like God was far away? Have you known Isaiah's prayer? God, where are you? Tear open the heavens and come down. Please come. And this is the Advent prayer. As we begin in darkness, we say that beautiful Greek word translated from Aramaic, Maranatha, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come as you did long ago and come afresh this Christmas tide. Will Christmas bring an answer to that prayer? We celebrate God's coming in Jesus at Christmas, but will he come again this year? Will he come to those who sit in darkness, who yearn to see a great light, and who will, sh- and who will share that light with them? Will you? Will I? At Christmas, we do celebrate that the Christ child has already come. That a great light has come to shine in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. But how does that make a difference to those who sit in darkness now? The difference it can make, I think, is this. Since Christ has already come, we now know where to look. More specifically, we know to look in the unexpected places. Think of the Christmas story. The saviour of the world, the king of creation, born to two poor people in a stable in backwater Bethlehem. Is that where you would expect God to come? Not really. And it never really changes with this Jesus, this God incarnate, we read of and we know of in the Gospels. The Pharisees expected such a great teacher to be with them all the time, but they continually had to look for him amongst the tax collectors and sinners, the sick and the outcast. And it even ended with this King Jesus hanging on a cross, the very last place anyone would have expected to find God coming into the world. So when we pray the prayer, where are you, God? Perhaps what we need is to remind ourselves of where to look. Perhaps when we can't find God, 
is because we look in the wrong places. The Christian answer to the question, where is God, when we're looking for God to tear open the heavens and come, is to begin by looking at the one who was hanged on the cross for us. Jesus turns the whole question of suffering around. When we are suffering, or when someone close to us is suffering, we're often moved to ask, where is God? But with Jesus, suffering becomes the answer, not the reason for the question. In Jesus, we begin to see that the answer to where is God is precisely this. God is with those who suffer. That's where God is. In Jesus, we learn where to look for God. He was with the blind and the lame, with the leper and the outcast. He was with the hungry and the bewildered, with the hurting and the confused He was with all who thought there must be another way, a better way, even when they couldn't articulate it. And he's still with them today. And he wants us there with them too. In Jesus, we learn to see differently. When we look to the cross, we learn to see that God is with those who suffer and has been all along. As long as there is suffering in the world, that is where God will be. And one day, that Christmas prophecy of Isaiah will come to fulfilment. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For unto us a child is born. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.